for as long as I can remember, uh, Romans 12 has always been, uh, to me, uh, something of the, the ideal chapter, uh, in the sense that if, if the people of God followed what Romans 12 taught, uh, there would be a revolution in the world. Uh, we talk an awful lot about conspiracies. We talk an awful lot about revolutions. And uh, many people, particularly in our day and age, have many different ideas about what's going on, about what's going to happen. I want to propose this morning that we continue to settle into Romans 12 and we continue to ask ourselves a very simple question. What would the community of God look like if Romans 12 was their banner? If we took seriously the imperatives that are in this chapter, the descriptors that are in this chapter, if we truly committed ourselves in the power of the Spirit of God, in the power of the mercies of God, to the doing of this chapter, what would it be like? What would we become? What would it look like? An idealist, perhaps. It's in the Word of God. And we've got the power to live it out because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So let us renew our focus on Romans chapter 12 today and at least one more week before we turn the corner and head to the back end of the book of Romans. Let's settle in uh, with Romans 12 today. As, we, I've, as I've reminded you, Romans 12 is, is about relationships. And I've shown you the, the, the triangle uh, over the weeks, the triangle of relationships, whether Paul meant it intentionally or not. Romans 12 opens with our relationship to God. And then it segues uh, from the vertical, our relationship with God, to the horizontal, our relationship, our relationship to one another within the body of Christ. And then in the other angle of the triangle is our relationships with those outside uh, of the church of Jesus Christ. And today... Paul begins to transition from the inner community to the outer world and how it is that we as believers in Jesus, not being conformed to the pattern of this age, but instead being transformed, are to engage not only with people inside the church, but also people outside of the church. Romans 12 is about relationships, our relationship with God in view of his mercies, our relationship with one another as one body in Christ and members of one another. And today, as I've just said, we will relate, we'll learn how to relate to those outside of the body of Christ, how indeed we are to love our neighbor, even those who are our enemies. This is not an easy teaching from Paul, who echoes Jesus very strongly here, and I'll show you that in just a moment. Jesus taught us the greatest commandment. You know what that is, don't you? To love the Lord our God with what? With half of our being? With uh, the days that we feel like it? No. It's all in. With all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And a second one is never divorced from the first one. The, the two of them almost go together. First, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one that is like it is to love our neighbor as ourselves Matthew would write in Matthew chapter 22, recording the words of Jesus, that on these two commandments depend the entire law and prophets. In other words, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about loving God and loving neighbor. You could do a whole lot worse than to make that your life's calling, to love God and to love neighbor. Romans 12 
14 to 21, which we're going to divide into two parts this week and, God willing, next week, uh, may very well be considered Paul's application of the second commandment of genuine love. Remember now, he opens this section in verse 9 of Romans 12 with, let love be genuine. And then for all intents and purposes, everything that follows that is an explanation of what genuine love is. And we've seen genuine love within the body of Christ. And now we're going to take a look at genuine love outside of the body of Christ. As followers of Jesus, we are not a holy huddle. We're not the frozen chosen. We are to be out of the building and moving about in the places that God has called us to, being salt and light in this world. So today, the first of two parts, uh, we'll look at verses 14 to 16 today, and God willing, next week we'll look at 17 to 21. Very simple pattern here from Paul today. Uh, he's he Like we've seen earlier in Romans 12, he's going to open with a couple of commands in verses 14 and 15, and he's going to apply them in the first half of 16, and then he's going to come back and summarize for us in the end of 16, okay? So very simple pattern. Here's the commands. Here's the application. Let me sum it up. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to preach, and I hope it's a beautiful thing for you to hear as well. Ready? All right. Let's jump in, and let's look at verses 14 and 15 and see these commands of which Paul speaks. As you would you would obviously expect, the New Testament writers would uh, hear the voice of Jesus in their minds. And in hearing the voice of Jesus in their minds, uh, it would come out of their out of their pen as well. We would hear echoes, if not direct quotations, of the Lord Jesus. And this is certainly true here uh, in chapter 12, and as we're going to see in 13 and 14 as well. Uh, many echoes, there's at least a dozen echoes uh, of the words of Jesus in the teaching of Paul. And this section is where all of this begins. Uh, Paul's teaching here in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Clearly, uh, uh, you don't have to be a Christian very long to realize how much this echoes uh, what Jesus uh, says. And it's recorded for us not only in Matthew, but let's go to Luke because Luke is our backbone gospel this year. Uh, so let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And here are the words of Jesus that Paul is literally bringing right over. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Let that sink in now. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I'll jump down to verse 32 of Luke chapter 6. Jesus goes on. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend and expect to receive, that doesn't make you any different. But love your enemies, in verse 35, he says, and do good. Verse 36 sums it up. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Think about it. We were not lovely. We were unmerciful. And Jesus came to us and saved us. And we, too, are called to do the same thing. It's very easy to minister to people who are like us and who are lovable. Uh, the proof in the pudding is in ministering to those uh, who despise us, who perhaps even persecute us. We'll see next week in 17 to 21, you and I are not to take vengeance into our, into our own hands. In fact, quite the opposite. We're to bless. And you know what blessing means? Blessing means to ask God's favor. 
Now, I want to slow down here. This is a tough passage for me. I have to readily admit that. And I know it is for you as well. You, we, we think we have this mindset that if, if I'm at least neutral, okay, this person doesn't like me. This person even persecutes me. Okay, I, I want to retaliate, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm not. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to stay back and I'm going to remain neutral. That's conformity to the pattern of this age, if the truth is told. Jesus doesn't call us to neutrality. He calls us to move forward toward those people who persecute us and to bless them, to ask God's favor upon them. We care about the suffering of others. We care about our own suffering as well. We care especially about their eternal suffering. So just like Jesus on the cross, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. We too, seeking the power of the spirit of God in our regenerated lives need to be able to bless those who persecute us, not merely remain neutral, and certainly not to curse them, to call down God's disaster upon those who persecute us. We're going to see that that's God's business. God's business is the business of bringing about justice of this nature. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to Romans chapter 13. Let, let me show you an example of how this played out uh, in the in the first century church, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. It's the back end, near the back end of your New Testament. Follows, uh, uh, pre precedes James, Hebrews, James, and then First Peter. Um, these are the called uh, these are called the general epistles, uh, written in general to the churches. Um, in Hebrews chapter ten, let me make sure I got the reference. In Hebrews chapter ten and verse thirty-two. Here's an example of the early church. And now there's a really good probability that the book of Hebrews was written from Rome as well. We don't know for sure, but there's a, there's a significant evidence suggesting that to be the case. So we're, we are talking about the similar context. In Hebrews chapter 10, and beginning in verse 32, here's what the writer says. But recall the former days when you were, in, when after you were enlightened, you were saved, you were born again, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you, here it comes, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Verse 35 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There's, there's the, uh, there's the magic, if you please, of persevering, even when persecuted, you realize that what you have here now is temporary and that we long for a heavenly city. We long and look for that, which is permanent and cannot be taken away from us. It requires an amazing work of the Spirit of God in our lives to be able to joyfully accept the plundering of our property. I can feel my spine getting up. If somebody wanted to ransack my house, I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect my turf as best as I possibly can. Well, should persecution come, and should it be something that even our, our country um, calls, uh, calls to do to Christians, uh, we ought to realize that these are things that we ought to hold on to loosely because 
the city that we await uh, is, is in heaven. So we bless instead of cursing those who may persecute us. Uh, to the natural mind, as I've already hinted, I can almost hear, and people have said this to me, and I, I know you might be even thinking it as well, Pastor, that, that's naive thinking. You can't, live, you can't live in New York City with that kind of mindset. It's upside down. It's probably even dangerous if you think that that's the way we ought to live. But let me gently challenge you. This is the word of the Lord that we're talking about, and Jesus is our model. And if, if we find ourselves digging in our heels and saying, there's no way I will do that. There's no way I'd be possible. It'd be possible for me to do that. We ought to stop and think, maybe I need to submit myself to the work of God in, in my life. I love the way one writer puts it. It was a, it was a beautiful expression. And I want to read just a couple of sentences to you from this commentator on the book of Romans. He says, the gospel demands that we step back rather than payback. Isn't that a great expression? That we step back rather than payback. Stepping back, he says, creates time and space for the kind of patient, discerning thought that comes from renewed minds. It creates time and space to consider the will of God in the situation. The patience of stepping back, of non-retaliation, of looking for another way, makes our trust in God visible and opens the door for God's justice to be at work. Isn't that an amazing statement? Revolutionary. It turns the way that we would think upside down. It drives us all the way back to, am I conforming to the way of this world, or am I being transformed by the renewing of my mind, that I can test and approve God's good and pleasing and perfect will? Notice what he says in verse 15, very similarly. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. Uh, it's easy to read this as an insider command, but I think in the context, it also addresses to those outside. I think this is a call not only to enter into the joys and the grief of those within the body of Christ, we are certainly admonished to do that, but also to have our minds and our eyes and our ears open to ways that we can minister to our neighbors. This is what one writer calls the art of neighboring. I think it's both and, in-house as well as out-house, in giving thought to my neighbor who lives next door, do I even know their name? And can I enter into their joy? Can I enter into their grieving with them such that without envy or jealousy, we would celebrate, say, their weddings and their anniversaries, their births and their graduations? Uh, are we close enough with our neighbors to receive invites along those lines? And serving them. And on the, on the other side of things, uh, such that we, without self-righteousness, would sympathize with the sicknesses and the, the, the deaths, the wakes and the funerals of our neighbors and our uh, extended friends uh, in the neighborhood and areas that we, that we may roam around. It, it requires a magnificent work of the Spirit of God because it's hard for us to rejoice when others rejoice. Oh, I wanted that promotion. Oh, I wanted that raise. And if somebody else gets it, it's, it we can be down in the mouth. We can be every envious or jealous. This is not the Romans 12 community that's being described here. This is a profound work of the mercies of God in our own hearts and our own minds. And if you're anything like me, and uh, there are people that ha have wronged you. There are people who just rub you the wrong way. And when something has gone wrong, you think secretly, you never say it out loud, but you think secretly, aha, 
you got yours. What goes around comes around. And we celebrate the grieving. Well, Paul, echoing the words of Jesus, would have us do none of that. Without haughtiness and self-righteousness, we have to grieve with those who grieve. It's the art of neighboring. May the Lord bless us that we might be artists in our neighborhood. I told you after the commands, Paul gives us some application in the first half of verse 16. And this is, he pivots here a little bit. And he answers the question, how are we to do this? How are we to bless and not curse? How are we to rejoice and grieve? Well, this is, this is what he does. He, he, he tells us in the following three expressions. First, by living in harmony with one another. Uh, that's, that's the first part of verse 16, as you'll see. It literally means being of the same mind. It's a mind word, a way of thinking. Now, you might ask, oh, wait a minute now. I'm a Christian. My next door neighbor is not a Christian. How, how can we be of the same mind? It's a good question. And I told you this overlap here. Clearly, in the body of Christ, it ought to be. Unfortunately, it, it isn't always the case, but it ought to be easier for Christians to be of a like mind. It doesn't mean they have to think exactly the same thing, but toward one another, their thoughts ought to be good, ought to be a desire for blessing and for rejoicing together with them. Paul would say this in Philippians 2.2, if you want to look it up at another point in time. It, it make my joy, fulfill my joy by being of the same mind. We're not robots, but we do get after the same thing, seeking first the kingdom and desiring what is best for our brothers and sisters. But also, this can have effect outside of the body of Christ. Show me, Pastor. I will. Next week, I'm, I will unfold this a little bit more, but let me read these verses for you. Same chapter, Romans 12, look at verses 17 and 18 together with me. This is how I think we can live in harmony with one another outside of the body of Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 12, 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So it's not just our holy huddle. It's also those who oppose us. It's also those with whom we work. It's also our unbelieving family members. We are to give thought to doing what is honorable in the sight of all. But look what he does now in verse 18 of Romans 12. If it's possible, not always, but if it's possible, so far as it depends on you and me, what should we do? Live peaceably with all. We ought not to be the cause of disruptions in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our own families, certainly not in the body of Christ. So Paul says, one of the ways you can bless and not curse, one of the ways you can rejoice, one of the ways you can weep is by being in harmony with one another. It makes perfect sense. I can't enter into the joy of my neighbor if I don't know my neighbor. Paul goes on. We can do this by living in harmony with one another. We can also do it negatively now by not being proud, haughty. That makes perfect sense, right? Instead, we ought to be humble. Do you remember when Paul said that in Romans chapter 12? Turn back in Romans 12 with me, verse 3. Romans 12, 3. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but instead to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. See, so earlier, Paul has said, we're not to be on our high horse. 
we're not to think of somebody as better than ourselves. It doesn't mean that we have to think of ourselves as a doormat, but it does mean that we give thought to other people as well, that we desire for them what is good. So we bless and not curse by living in harmony with one another, by not being haughty, not being proud, not thinking, oh, my neighbor? No, my, my neighbor's low, low. I, I can't go there. My neighbor is black. I can't go there. Oh, my neighbor's uh, something else. I can't go. No, no. Uh, mind you now, walking very gently through Romans chapter 12, this is not an option for you and for me. For me. Remember, James, our Lord's brother in James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Not only are we to live in harmony with one another, not only are we not to be haughty, but we're also, and this flows very logically, we're also to associate with the lowly. This is a, this is a tough one for some people. I've seen an awful lot of pride and insularity in Staten Island. People stay to themselves. It's this group. And if there's an outsider, who are you? And they're greeted with suspicion and a high level of pride and a sense of entitlement. And you can't tell me what to do. You, you can't tell me how to run my life. Uh, the Bible tells us that we have to associate with the lowly. Rome in the first century was built on a caste system, C-A-S-T-E, a caste system. There were the haves and the have-nots. New York City is just like that. Many people come to New York City to become a have at the expense of the have-not. So this is a word that speaks to the first century, but it also speaks to the 21st century. It is, it is a, a system that is built in to the way that we live, whereby certain groups have power and privilege that others do not. This is a radical verse in our day and age, particularly with so much going on in our world about racism and uh, with regard to black and brown people and even more so a growing anti-Semitism right here on Staten Island, as well as uh, the, the latest uh, flavor, if you please, of racism has been against Asian Americans, uh, particularly surrounding the coronavirus. Um, there's a lot for us to absorb here, but God tells us in his word by, by direct application how it is that we ought to associate with the lowly, to be aware of the privileges that we have and the, the, the privileges that we haven't, we haven't ourselves necessarily earned. What do we do with our privilege? How do we fight back against systemic sin, systemic racism, and things like that that are built into the warp and woof of our lives that we just assume that's the way it is. I have to keep coming back to Romans 12 and 2 and keep saying to myself, where am I being conformed to the pattern of this age? Where do I need to be transformed? Brothers and sisters, I plead with you and I pray with you and for you that we would, that we would bless and not curse, that we would rejoice and Weep with those who are around us by living in harmony with one another, by not being proud. Wow, talk about countercultural. And by associating with the lowly. Is Isabel Wilkerson uh, has written a, a beautiful book called Cast, C-A-S-T-E. And in that book, she uses this powerful metaphor of entering into a theater that is dark, being ushered around by the usher with the with the flashlight and being told where to sit 
listen, listen to her powerful words. As we go about our daily lives, Wilkerson writes, cast is the wordless usher in a darkened theater, flashlight cast down on the aisles, guiding us to our assigned seats for a performance. The hierarchy is not about feelings or even morality. It's about power, which groups have, some groups have it and some groups do not. That's a powerful image and it really struck me this week to think about how things that are taken for granted and I'm just moved around oftentimes as a privileged individual with a fair bit of power in this world. And I have, I have, I have easy access to education and to, and to medical care where right here on Staten Island, there are those who are last in line for the vaccine. Why? Because of their skin color, because of their financial status, because of their position in the, on the totem pole. I ask you, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, to take an inventory and to take this word to heart and ask ourselves, what do we need to do to be a Romans 12 community and blessing those who persecute us and not cursing, but instead entering into the rejoicing and the grieving of our neighbors by living in harmony with one another, by not being proud and by associating with the lowly. Remember Galatians 3 and verse 28, in Christ Jesus, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. At the foot of the cross, we are all equals. We have different gifts and different roles, but before Christ, it does not matter whether we're male or female, young or old, black, brown, or white. In Christ Jesus, we are one. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we reflect that to a radically divided world in which we live. Would you pray that together with me? Here's how Paul finishes it up. He closes this little section with a final brief command. It's an echo of Proverbs 3.7. You know, Proverbs 3.7 that says, be not wise in your own eyes. Well, Paul says basically the exact same thing here, closing up verse 16. Never, never be wise in your own sight. In other words, have community around you. Ask a dear brother, ask a dear sister, hey, do, do I seem proud to you? Do, do I look down my nose at other people? Do I scoff? Am I sarcastic and cynical toward other people who, who, who may not wear the right things or say things uh, differently than the way I think they should be said? Paul says, never be wise in your own eyes. What he's getting at here is Romans 11.25 tells us is, is this, this idea that we assume that we have exhaustive knowledge of a particular circumstance. And, and the, 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 the Gentiles thought they understood the Jews in Rome. And Paul says in 11.25, well, wait a minute, lest you think, lest you're wise in your own sight, let me explain this a little bit more to you. And that would be great counsel to you and me today. Before we judge, before we jump to judging others, let's step back. Let's listen. Let's, let's be humble enough to say, you know what? There might be information that's missing here. I may not be seeing this exactly right. Let's step back. Let's lay aside, let's lay aside our pride so that we're able to be good neighbors and that we're even able to love our neighbor 
and love our enemies. Paul would conclude his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, with these words. Let all that you do be done in love. Wow, it's a powerful verse. I, I got a line of post-it notes. Well, here's one of them. Here's my 1 Corinthians 16, 14 post-it note. I keep this right here, right in front of me, so that I remind myself day after day after day that everything that I do is to be done in love. Do I succeed all the time? I don't. Many of you know that. And for that, I'm deeply sorry. But this ought to be our goal. All that we do, whether it's, whether it's a beloved spouse or child in our own household, or whether it's an enemy, all that we are to do is to be done in love. John Stott, um, now home with the Lord, uh, is a British scholar who loved the Lord and has written so many wonderful devotional things. He says this, he says, there's no greater incentive to holy living than a contemplation of the mercies of God. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. There's no greater incentive to holy living than a contemplation of the mercies of God. Brothers and sisters, those of you who perhaps are visiting with us, would you even today take time to contemplate on, on the mercies of God and, and answer the question, does that not motivate you to holy living, to holy loving? This is the first of two parts in this ending section of Romans chapter 12. Uh, love those who persecute you. We'll talk more about this, God willing, next week and see the supply that God gives to us in order to live that out. Would you join me this week in asking the Lord to make us more of a Romans 12 family, to make us Romans, Romans 12 families, to make us a Romans 12 community, whereby we will love and we will bless and not curse. We will enter into the joy and the grieving of one another and those in the world around us. Would you pray with me? We thank you, dear God, for this, wow, this, this tough word. It, it's a tough word, but we know, Father, that in our hearts, you have provided what it is that we need in order to walk in the obedience of faith. Praise be to your holy name. And thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit. Thank you for pouring out your love from which we can never be separated. So would it be, dear God, that going forward, even from this moment, that we would be channels, we would be instruments of your love. Yes, to those who are lovely, but that we would also be instruments of love to those who are not lovely, who are not like us. People who might even cause us to be afraid. Would you enable us to overcome that worldly fear to love you? with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. As always, oh God, we ask this in the name of Jesus, who loved his neighbor perfectly. May we aspire to that very thing. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.